everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser podcast. Uh, it's going to be like an odd one this week since we didn't have a game, but we had a lot of incidents. I am your host, Timuchin, and with me is the usual crew. Uh, we have Paul Bickler uh, with us wearing this ugly-ass Besiktas jersey. Uh, thank God we're not recording video. What's up, Paul? <laughs> How are you? Well, I was better until I saw you wearing rags around. But You made me uh, change the last kit, so I mean, I don't, I don't know what else I got to do. Yeah, I don't know if it was any better. It was about the strike kit for the listeners out there. And yeah, if it's not a Fenerbahce kit, they should not be a Turkish kit. Is the bottom line. <laughs> and with us also is Irish Jamie wearing his... What is that? It's uh, it's actually my hometown kit um, from County Down, Ireland. It's a Bally Martin Gaelic football jersey. Hey, man, you could literally have a blanket on. It would be better than what Bickler is wearing right now. So... <laughs> yeah. so Obviously, we would normally talk about the United-Liverpool game and hopefully a win, even though I was kind of like nervous about it. And we had all kinds of odds uh, predictions last podcast. But so we had the big incidents uh, that I kind of like were happening throughout the morning. First, the game gets kind of like delayed, then it gets postponed. I don't know if it was mainly due to the fact that there was a word that they had breached into the locker room. So there was, you know, strict COVID rules breached and stuff like that. So bottom line is the game is postponed. The rumors are some kind of a shifting of the West Bromwich Albion game because obviously United's schedule is a bit more hectic than ours where we only play like once a week right now. Uh, but we'll see when that happens. As of now, Liverpool's next game is going to be Southampton next Saturday. So we'll kind of like touch up on that, which is kind of like a distant topic now, sadly. I know this semi depresses me, guys, because over the last two, three weeks, we've probably talked more about this crap than we have talked about football. Right, Paul? Yeah, I think that's fair. So let's start with you, Paul. I mean, we know... Okay, so this Glazer thing has been coming a long time. So before we kind of relate this discussion to FSG, uh, for those people out there that would maybe try to bundle them together and put them together, Bigler, save the day and explain why it's apples and oranges comparing these two ownership groups. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm honored that you came to me first when we're talking about violent versus peaceful protests when you went to me over an Irish guy. So I appreciate that. I'm not really sure what that says about me, to be quite honest. But uh, He's just so, picking on you for the shirt choice again. I think so. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so the Glazier family who's owned United has basically been a 15-year nightmare for that club. And um, the the only – like, you know, they get lumped in with the FSG out thing uh, because they're American, and that's really where the similarities end, in my opinion. Um, they were – yes, they were a part of the ESL conversation, as obviously Liverpool Brass was. Um, the main difference is, is when – FSG came in, we were in the middle, we were hours away from being liquidated by the banks and essentially, you know, being pushed down into the lower leagues. And they came in and essentially saved the club. Uh, I think the cynics will say they saw a business opportunity. Uh, I, as a football fan, don't really fucking care if it was a business opportunity. It saved us from going down and that's really what mattered, right? Uh, the Glaziers pushed out ownership and their situation and basically went ahead in that move. It was highly controversial for them to, to push out the remaining stockholders. When they did it, they did it with a combination of hedge funds and other loans that they took out of the club. Uh, the club had been debt-free since 1931 and essentially put them on 760 pounds, uh, million dollars of the debt right out of the gate, just in, just in purchasing. So that's really where it started with massive debt and it really hasn't changed i mean today the debt sits right around it's like just under 500 million pounds in debt they have um you know they paid basically when they did it they were getting 62 62 million dollars a year just in interest on these debts and in 2010 like they have like 210 210 million dollars in unpaid debt that basically got paid for but is not really accounted for like 
people don't know how they paid it off. I guess it's either here or there, but I don't know. I have their bad ownership and they've been bad ownership from the very get. So I understand why people are frustrated. I do think there's a little bit of hypocrisy in the fact that people are now coming in uh, on them. When the fact of the matter is every United fan that I know has been pretty happy when they're having these million, you know, 150 million pound transfer windows, um, you know, when they can get all these players and are paying all these wages to be competitive, a lot of the fans don't care. But I mean, I think the timing is, is kind of right for the conversation. I think that's part of the deal where, and then I think we're going to kind of like, I want to circle this back to American sports. And I think, cause that's where part of the animosity slash worry uh, for, you know, like the clubs that, you know, people in Europe have uh, because they kind of like can look from far away and see how American sports kind of work. And it's obviously a totally different system. So I want to kind of like get a full circle back to Liverpool, but I kind of wanted to, yeah, that's, I'm glad, you know, I came to you because I guess you had all the numbers uh, to kind of like show that we are not comparing apples to oranges and these people should probably not be bundled together. Uh, but before we kind of like refer to Liverpool, let's do our regular Liverpool things uh, that we always do every podcast. Uh, we'll get Irish Jamie's Liverpool news in 60 seconds and our trivia in first. And then I kind of want to go back to talking about how this kind of like relates to us and what you guys think about it. So, Jamie, ready and go. Yeah, 60 seconds might be might be scraping the barrel here on this one. Obviously, we've got lots to talk about with the with the big news this week. Um, although there has been lots of news this week, even with the, the media shut out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, young Wilson, I say young Wilson, he's what, 24 now? He's got a hat trick uh, there at the weekend for Cardiff City. Um, lots of other good news about the Lone Lads, which you'll be able to find on the Lone Lads watch. Um, also, the under-23s drew with Leicester 2-2, and then the LFC ladies, the women, drew 2-2 as well in their final match. Um, a lot of talking about uh, Van Dyke as well. Jurgen Klopp's come out this week and, and discussed, because obviously Virgil has been spotted once again running in the green, green pastures of, uh, of Kirby. Um, Klopp has come out and said that we're, we're not going to rush him and we would ask uh, the Dutch not to rush him and we'd ask Virgil not to rush him as well. But um, yeah, uh, lots lots to discuss um, and obviously the big news that we've all sort of been talking about, which was the United game. Yeah, I kind of want to go back to Wilson too because I've seen a lot of like chatter and conversation about that. But let's get the trivia out of the way. I actually ran into this by total chance when I was looking for something to ask you guys. And then I kind of got stuck with this and I was like, you know what? This is a good one. Uh, I don't want to give away the rest of the information because there's some like good numbers over there. But I can tell you guys that uh, Liverpool has had 5,790 competitive matches. Okay. So based on this information, how many... I mean, okay, I guess I have to give this number out so that you guys can get it. We've scored 10,059 goals altogether in this, during these games. Wow. How many of these goals were own goals? Ooh. I'm really digging in the barrel now. So. Are we doing percentages or no? Oh, I, I want a number, baby. All right. <laughs> I'll go for a 250. That's <laughs> sounds like Jeopardy. Uh, <laughs> how, many, how many games did you say? Pay attention, man. This is the Bishop Dash jersey. 5,790 games. Um, I'll go 375. Okay. So we'll get back to that. Uh, you guys are both over, so let's go with that. Oh, okay. And then I'll I'll let the listeners kind of guess in their mind with that knowledge, but you guys are both over. So fifty percent of that was Jamie Carragher, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to the the whole like the Glazer uh, comparison. One thing that you know you mentioned, Paul, as you know they weren't complaining as much. I mean, I've heard of people complaining about. 
Glazers and the way they spend money, how they're kind of like using the income to pay off the interest and stuff like that. Obviously more ever since they have not been doing well, which has been great to, and to watch and, you know, enjoy from far away. Uh, but to be fair, they've actually spent the money in some ways, just spent it very, very poorly. Uh, and then made some like bad decisions and stuff like that. So I guess my thing is, is it a matter of, so Jamie, I'll come to you with this. Do you think it's just a matter of not having the success that they get the criticism? They don't spend as much or is it just because it's American owners? Well, I think first of all, we have to, we have to say in, in fairness to uh, United and the whole Glazer out thing, it's been going on for best part of a decade. Um, this whole Newton Heath movement has been very much at the forefront of, of most Man United fans, even though they're they're kind of like shadow owners. One of, one of my United mates told me that um, Glazer Senior, or whoever it is, has only done an in-face interview once in his tenure at Man United. Um, only once. That struck me as weird. Um, but it it has been something that's going on. Like You'll notice um, that United started to wear those uh, green and yellow colours around that time, and that was very much a throwback to their original team, Newton Heath, and all the rest of it. I, I think it has been... It's in the media now because Graham Souness came out and said, oh, it's because United aren't doing so well. And then Jamie Carragher has come out and said, well, it's been happening for 10, 15 years. It's not necessarily due to their recent demise. Um, so it's difficult. I mean, it, it, it's obviously brought into light more because they're not the team they were, because since Alex Ferguson, they've had a drop off. And that was always going to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. Um, like Paul said, they're, they're, I don't know. It's just it's a tough time enough for football. And let's let's go ahead and say it now. It, it's um, it's hard to watch that sort of violence, even though it's violence. I mean, destruction. Let's say I I do think that if it was Liverpool at Anfield and it was our fans at at our stadium. We'd be branded hooligans immediately. We'd be getting the book thrown at us. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's it's difficult one to say, but it has been going on for a decade. I, mean, I think like I think that like supporters have they have a relationship with ownership. I mean, much as people don't want to admit it, and it, like anytime there's like outside stress on a relationship, right? Past resentment that's been unresolved sort of bubbles to the surface, and I think that's what you're seeing right now. I mean, I think it's like this cumulative frustration with not being able to attend matches and the whole pandemic thing and people struggling financially, the, and then the ESL blow up. It, it just, it's, it's a political climate at this point that is essentially rife for this sort of uh, trauma and the sort of like uh, turbulence at that level. And of course it coincided as well with the restrictions relaxing in the UK and people finally being able to go out and et cetera. So yeah. So I want to go back to, I mean, once we kind of cover this, I want to go back to the nature of the protest, because I think that's kind of like a total different thing that we should take a look at, too. But the thing I find interesting is, you know, like us three over here, we're kind of got a whole different perspective. Uh, you know, we have the Irish Jamie. Uh, I'm originally from Turkey. I've been here, you know, for almost like three decades now, but I've been exposed to a lot of like European football. And then we have the purebred American Bickler over here wearing an ugly Turkish jersey. So I think we all have like kind of like a different perspective on things just because of our like backgrounds, I feel like. And I think the biggest, I because it's been kind of like a battle to kind of put yourself in the shoes of these different groups of people that have some, I don't know, I don't want to say like radical, I guess, but kind of like what I consider to be outrageous takes or ideas about things. And one thing that I can kind of understand the concern about, and Paul, I'm going to come to you this, since you're the favorite American, um, is like there's something that exists in American sports where you can have 
franchises that kind of hang around, right? Or there's something over here. There's a window of success they always call over here in American sports. Like you have like three, four years, you either get a title or whatever, and then more than likely, unless you have a dynasty, which obviously happens very rare, then you're around for like five, 10 years where you're not competitive at all. You're, you know, rebuilding in a way. Uh, but the, the team, the franchise is still raking in the cash. And I think a lot of the United fans, like say I have a brother who, you know, is a United fan, which, you know, is a disgrace I know, but it is what it is. And um, like he gets the same concept, for example, where they won, they got their street cred, if you will. And, you know, they brought United to being, you know, like very well, probably setting the example of how a club can be commercialized and bring a ton of money. And then once the money came in, they really didn't care if they won or not because the money kept pouring in either way. And I think that's the concern that some of the fans have in Europe, not only for United, I think this is for any American ownership, I guess, that's, that's kind of like the mindset they bring. Is that fair to say? I mean, I think that concern is legitimate. Um, I think American sports is totally different just because of the financial co- construct of salary caps and things like that. I think that's why you see teams being okay with rebuilding and you see these windows of success and then scrapping, liquidating a club and rebuilding, right? You don't see that in football as much. I think that like, I think any supporter is going to be concerned about apathy at the ownership level, as long as they're raking in finances, especially with the club that has a global following United does. What I think is really short-sighted is when you look at your ownership and don't realize that they just won a fucking Super Bowl. They obviously care about winning. They own Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay just came out and won a Super Bowl. They obviously care about winning. And I don't think, you know, this is going to go back to the whole FSG Red Sox thing. I don't think that that any good owner cares about one investment, not another. Right. I mean, let's be honest about that. That's not how, that's not how people make money and get good at what they're doing. Um, I think they care um, now, whether I think they got shoehorned from the beginning by saddling the club with that much debt. And I think that they're in, I think they're circling the drain. I don't know how they get out of that much debt, um, continuing to have the, um, they have the large, I just sport track is a financial site online. Um, I looked up and, and they have, they have the largest wage bill in the premier league, you know, like. Liverpool just moved up the second with some bonuses, but like, it's not even really close. It's like 50 million more than cities, which is insane. Um, you know, like you look at these players, they bought, they, they let a player go for free and then they buy them back for 90 million pounds. You know, like I, there's just a, a ton of mistakes that can, that, that keep compounding for United. Um, and they're not really making any deals or doing things that you would think are smart from an investment standpoint. I mean, you look at us and we're continuing offsetting purchases. Like that's what we do. Right. I mean, people bitch about net spend and how like, you know, Oh, we got to sell the buy. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the name of the game. If you're trying to do things and grow a business. Right. Um, But United hasn't done that. They've gone out and they spent, you know, um, from 2014 to 2018, they had three windows that were well over 160 million pound windows. Uh, you know, well over a hundred net spend. So um, I think it's a legitimate concern, but I think you do have to understand that they, they, you know, they just won a title with their other team. So they obviously care about it. Uh, it, it to me, it's a question of capability. I don't think they're capable of getting out of it. I think it's not that they haven't spent money. They just spent it really poorly. I mean, you just, right. some of the, I mean, like Alexis Sanchez comes to mind, for example, that signing, that's probably the, on that wage bill. Still, they're still probably paying for him as he plays for Inter. I mean, there's like a bunch of players like massive that. Wages, yeah. yeah. Di Maria so, as well, you know. Yeah, Di Maria, I mean, Lukaku, I mean. I mean, know. look what they paid for, I mean, massive money for Luke Shaw. I mean, yeah. McGuire, $50 million for was like, Crystal Palace right back. I mean, it's not, he's turned out well, but I mean, it's just, it's crazy money and they're turning around and they're having these 150 million pound windows and they're selling like 20 million pounds worth of players. Like that's just not going to ever work. So Jeremy, let me come to you then. Um, Cause like I say, I feel like even like the criticism that FSG gets, uh, even with the Glazers and stuff, 
but let's focus back on FSG because obviously it relates to us more. I think a huge part of it is because of this constant fear of being like American sports and the fact that the owners are American. Is that fair to say for people in the old country? I think, I think at this point it is. And I'd be naive if I was to say it wasn't. Um, you know, my personal agenda aside, a lot of, a lot of that sort of anti-American sentiment is definitely creeping in. Um, obviously, me being over here, I, I don't necessarily see eye to eye with a lot of those opinions. Um, that's not to say that they aren't being touted around. You know, a, a lot of people have these opinions and, and have strong feelings against. Um, I guess the globalization of 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 a, a brand of a, a, a you know teetering on franchise status. I, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one. Um, but there's definitely a lot of anti-American sentiment right there, which I, I don't feel is necessarily justified. Um, like Paul said, they came in at a really rough time. Um, so, I mean, realistically, now that, that sort of FSG out is trending again, um, we've, we've had rumors that there was a 300 uh, million takeover bid. Um, from Dubai or someplace like that. So it's, it's, you know, do you want, do you want oil money or do you want uh, a sort of rich conglomerate of, of, you know, American sport owners and, and, and people who are interested in sport. And I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it could be a very poison challenge. And I remember you said something along the lines of be careful what you wish for with, with, with regards to the ESL and things like that. So, you know, time will tell, um, but yeah, it, it's it's mad. I, I don't I don't get how people can feel so against the American owners, um, knowing everything that we've been through. Um, you know, each person to their own. Um, you know, it, these aren't Jicks or, or, or Hicks and Gillette. They they're different. They're they're worlds apart. You know, it, so I feel like. To a certain extent, the guys are due um, a bit of praise. Maybe not during how this has all been handled, but their tenure in general. You know, they, they've made a few mistakes. They've come out and, and said as much and, and backtracked and whatever, you know, the whole £70 uh, tickets and et cetera, et cetera. There's a few instances. But I, I think like you kind of alluded to a few weeks back is, you know, be careful what you wish for because you never know what you've got until it's gone. And I, I, I think the owners have, have done everything to progress Liverpool football club in many respects, um, the stadium, um, you know, everything. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's dark times. It's certainly an uncertain period ahead of us. I think in the case of Liverpool, like the anti-American sentiment, I don't know, I just can't. So I'll ask you, Paul, what you think the source is. I can't tell the balance of is it because of the history of Fixing you know, that has kind of like started that in terms of like what they did to the freaking club for one. Is it the fact that, I mean, let's be honest here, it's not, this is not an American sport. Uh, so like these guys, whatever they do, these guys don't know what they're doing kind of thing. Like, you know, or is it just a matter of what's the best way to put this? Like the fact that it represents money and a lot of people are still kind of like too naive to admit that this has become a business on the old days of football for fun. And the love of the game is sadly over, at least in the big stage. Um, I mean, this is cheating, but I think it's all three. Um, I, and I think it's different. I think it's different depending on the person, you know, like I, I think there is a bit of territorialism on it, uh, you know, being a UK sport and this is our game and, you know, we don't want outsiders coming in unless you're coming in on, you know, a cash cow, you know, I think there is a little bit of that. Um, 
I think there is definitely, um, you know, and I've lived in England, I've gone to school in England, um, I've had family over in England. Um, so I know the culture well, um, and I don't mean it disrespectfully or negatively, but there is a bit, if you talk to old schoolers in the UK, there is an anti-American sentiment still. And I think some of that comes from just um, historical, you know, the, just sort of the backdrop on uh, America and UK uh, relations, relations over the time. Um, the UK likes to, they really like to pigeonhole Americans as a system that invented greed uh, while systematically ignoring British imperialism. Um, like in, in the fact that they've essentially taken continents over and raped and pillaged it of, of resources, right? Um, he said I, that, not me. He said that, not me. But I mean, I'm, I'm just serious, talking, man. I know what I mean, you're you're, you're yeah. absolutely right, though. You're absolutely I, I know, right. Like, I mean, it's like you cannot talk about American corporate greed and then ignore British imperialism is, is almost the foundation of it. Um, yeah. And so I think there is a, a willful ignorance of that fact. Um, that happens when we have these conversations, uh, you know, it, it's greed's been around since the beginning of humanity. It's just, it's ingrained in, in, in who we are, unfortunately. Um, so I think there's a combination of those things. I think it's a, it's a historical relations thing going on. I do think there's a bit of territorialism with it um, that comes from wanting to, and I think there is a certain segment of this of people, and I don't know if it's people that are stuck like so much as the game was in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? As much as it is, they've seen such dramatic change over the course of three decades um, that it's very hard for people to accept um, that the game isn't that way anymore. Um, whether it not be as easy to travel to and afford, or whether it not be as accessible as it was back then, or, or whether it not just be something that people could comfortably sit around a pub and love together. Like it has changed over the last three decades dramatically. And I think some of that is, is a big change for the old timers for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm a young dude. I'm not an old dude as you guys would make me believe either, but you know, it hey, is what it is. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm not too happy about it. A lot of this stuff, you know, like how the game has become basically a lot about money and the, the success relies on that. And it's like the, it always has, even when I was younger, but it's like the, I guess the curve is a lot more straighter now where, you know, it's becoming, the gap is becoming bigger and bigger between rich clubs and the clubs that are basically feeding these rich clubs like they're like a minor league baseball team over here uh you know like constantly creating talent selling it for the money using that money and that you know just like kind of like uh circulating that but i mean it is what it is i don't i you just kind of have to accept it so i know where paul stands on this and this is why i kind of like wanted to bring gordon because i mean there are certain fsg out people that you can discuss it with and there are certain FSGR people that are, you know, not even making sense within the same sentence. Like they're like, oh, they don't represent Liverpool. But then a sentence later, they're going to say, well, I'd rather have oil money, which that's not Liverpool at all either. So it doesn't make sense. But so, Jamie, where do you stand on that? So I don't want to like I'm not exactly sure where you're at. So let me ask you, where are you at with that? You see, it, it, I find it difficult. I, I'm in a position now where especially after this year of football, I'm jaded. You know what I mean? I'm I'm about done with this season. And for, for one thing after another, it's it just seems to be another twist of the knife. Um, so I, I find it hard to criticize LFC. I find it hard to criticize any part of it because... I don't know. Maybe maybe it's kind of like um, I've got my blinkers on. And I don't, you know, what you what you can't see, you can't feel type of thing. So I don't know. I feel. Look, the football it, itself it has has been going this way, right? So who was it the other week that said Pat? Was it Patrick Bamford who said? And maybe Paul, you brought this up. Obviously, we you're, we know you're. If it's Patrick Bamford, probably Paul uh, brought it up. Yes, that's he, my boy. He was talking. He was talking about how, you know, if this was the issue on racism right now, and this was the level of um, protest and, and 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 everyone getting behind that, then 
you know, if we can do it for greed and 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 that, why can't we do it for people who are suffering day day to day? Footballers who are, are getting abused, like why can't we? Why can't we all band together and do that? You know, like I, I don't know, mate. I I think to be honest, I don't know where the fuck I stand with this whole FSG thing out because that doesn't help the cause. No, it doesn't help the cause. I, I but I, it doesn't help me either. You know what I mean? Like I I. I'm I'm stuck in between a rock and a hard place where I I I can appreciate everything they've done up until now FSG um, with Klopp. So I I don't know I I don't see it getting better if we just turf them out. I I don't see it I don't see Liverpool benefit from that. So what I'm for is whatever it is it has to be to the benefit of Liverpool Football Club and I don't see. FSG out benefiting Liverpool Football Club in the immediate. I guess, you know, if you were on that side, um, I guess my biggest question is what is the alternative? Because nobody (laughs) has, you know, four billion laying around that they can go, you know, buy Liverpool with. I know a lot of this talk about, you know, like German football, the 50 plus one and stuff. I hate to say it, but we've kind of lost the, you know, we kind of like missed the boat on that one uh, when it comes to the Premier League, right, Paul? I mean, the amount of money involved now for you to be able to get a 50% ownership does not seem realistic when we're talking about billions of dollars. If it was kind of established and built on that, that's one thing. But it just doesn't, I just don't see how, especially, I mean, one club, yeah, but across Premier League, I just don't see it being feasible. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's feasible from a financial standpoint because of the amount of TV money that's now involved with Sky, who has positioned themselves mighty well in this entire thing. Um, because they are as big a part of the problem as UEFA is, um, as, as, you know, agents are. And they're just kind of flying under the radar on this entire thing. Uh, 50 plus one. Uh, I, I, you know, my sentiment, I agree with you. It's a lot, it's a lot more convoluted and it's a lot dirtier and it's a lot muddier than a lot of people think it is. Uh, you're not, it's not like 50 guys that love the club and have their rooms postered, like postered up sitting around shooting ideas around with club ownership. It's one guy that's elected. And, and all the shit that happens, you know, Jennings talked about that. All the stuff that happens to get somebody elected to the board is the same thing that happens with UEFA in terms of backdoor deals and money under the table and all that stuff. Um, so it's not what everybody thinks it is. Uh, I think financially we're past it uh, in terms of the, the amount of money involved. Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Um, I don't, I don't know. I understand that people, I understand the people that just have, I have more respect for people that come out and just say, I don't want Americans in the game. I don't want them owning clubs. I don't want them in the game. Um, I have more respect for that than people that try to make a financial argument for FSG not owning a club because there is none unless it's manufactured data, manufactured arguments that support a narrative that somebody has or an agenda. Uh, But to me, I have yet to hear a plausible argument for what they've done and come into the club and done that's been financially bad for this team in terms of growing it. Um, you don't grow a club from ashes to over a four and a half billion dollar valuation, third party by fours, by not doing things the right way from a business standpoint. Just doesn't happen. Yep. Um, yeah. But I think that goes back to. And that's the only, and and that's why it's difficult. You know, I try to put my, you know, put myself in those people's shoes and say, then why would they say that? And like I say, the only thing I can come up with is, uh, so please like message us so we can come on the podcast, perhaps. I don't like, I want to definitely bring Gordon on in one of these episodes yeah. so we can kind of like hear from him. Uh, but I'm sure like there are several others as well in the LFC America or like, you know, like our regular listeners. I feel like the the reason for that is mainly not because of what has happened. I think they're more afraid of, you know, what's next. Like this is part of a one grand scheme down the road to make it like American sports. And 
Hey, I mean, these guys have taken several missteps, but then, you know, with the protests and stuff like that, the fans kind of have shown what they really cared about or what was really important to them. And now once they see that they have taken a step back and apologize or whatever. I mean, I just don't understand. I guess I do not see an alternative myself that will be better unless you just want different a different American owner or something like that. I think I, nobody I think, $4 billion by not caring about the bottom line and nobody right. like spend something four billion on something and then I be like eh, the whatever point. happens happens if you look at some of the mistakes they've made they've they've been made from a cultural standpoint like in terms of not understanding grassroots football sentiment right even though we've kind of outgrown that so that's understandable um in english football there's this this huge desire to 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 want the club to be community right and we don't have that in American sports. And I think there's a natural disconnect with our ownership in terms of that. Like in American sports, there's a very big distance between the owner and fans. Like there just is from an emotional standpoint and from an intimacy standpoint. Like look at Lester. They love their owner because he was like down in the stands with them, shaking hands after games, high-fiving people. Like even in America, we love um, Cuban because he does that with the Dallas Mavericks, right? We love him because he does that. That's not common in American sports. So when you have these investors, and they are investors, that's how FSG made their money before they got into sports, come in, they're, they're not like, it's not like they they don't care about the fans in the cold. It's just that like, like there's, there is a natural disconnect between the business and the supporters in the way that American sports works. And I think that has been some, a huge hurdle that, it, that hasn't been crossed by many and may not ever by a lot of supporters um, in like, I, I struggle because the spirit of Shankly is well-respected and they've done a lot of good things for the clubs, but in their long-term goal, and it's very clear on their site, their long-term vision is to own Liverpool Football Club. So you've got to take everything that they say with a grain of salt when they come out after ownership aggressively. Yes, we, they've made some mistakes. Um, I think there's room to, to, to bridge that gap between supporters and the club. I think that that's doable, but in the long-term scope of things, as supporters writing demand letters to the club, I'm sorry, it's never going to fucking work. Like, and people don't want to hear this, but you don't matter on that level in football anymore. The money is past it. You don't have that sort of influence anymore. And a lot of people don't want to hear that, but that's just the reality of it. And I think people look at this protest, for example, and they're like, see, they do have an impact. Like, you know, when you say that, and they have an impact in terms of maybe postponing a game, but I don't see the Glazers selling just because, you know, a couple of like drunk guys ran on Old Trafford. So before we even kind of like delve more into that, let's talk about the protest. So, Jamie, like you kind of alluded to it. So I want to come to you first on this. You look at the protest and do you say because I read some people saying, oh, I hope, you know, our fans do the same thing in our next home game and stuff. You look at that, those pictures with the guy with the famous ass crack now <laughs> jumping over stuff and wearing himself out, running out of breath, throwing a camera tripod, which I thought was pretty brutal. I thought I was out of shape and that guy made me feel like an athlete. Uh, so you watch that stuff. What do you think? It's difficult. You feel, I felt a bit of uh, shame, obviously, because it's like, you know, they, they picked, the Liverpool game, of course, because of, you know, the ratings and, and everybody watching it, the world watching. We're talking about the one of the most watched sporting one-day events in the world. Um, so the fact that our name was kind of being thrown around in the mud there, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't, I didn't enjoy watching a flare get thrown up at the media. I didn't, I didn't enjoy watching the, the, the camera get thrown around and, and I go back to if if that was a Liverpool fan, we'd be slated for that. We'd be absolutely ruined in the next day's papers. Um, we'd be called hooligans. We all know the trials and tribulations Liverpool fans um, and football club have been put through at the hands of the media um, since Hillsborough and beyond. Uh, Heisel as well. You know, it, look, any chance and and rival. Football clubs love to call us the victims and, and we always play the victim, blah, blah, blah. Like, 
I, I fear um, if that does happen at Anfield and somebody loses their cool and throws something, that, I don't know, it would just look bad on us. It, does, it doesn't reflect well. Um, but yeah, United fans, they, they can do whatever they want. They can destroy their own stadium. Um, fuck them. They can burn it to the ground. I mean, I look at that, I, I personally thought it was just freaking like embarrassing because, I mean, you can protest without going to some of the stuff that was done, hurting people, damaging stuff. I mean, that tripod is not hurting anybody. <laughs> right. I don't know how, how much a tripod is. I'm sure that shit is expensive, but Sky could not care less. And I tell you what, though, I'm, I'm thankful our fans weren't there. I'm, yeah. I'm thankful our fans weren't allowed there because um, that could have been a different fucking issue altogether and again the media would have spun it and that's the thing i think yeah if it was our fans if the roles were reversed if it was like an fsg thing and this stuff happened in anfield first of all the coverage would be 10 times worse it was almost like everybody was too bent on trying to justify why everybody's angry yeah. While I can justify why everybody is angry, I can't justify you like getting drunk off your ass, trashing the place, throwing stuff around. Yeah, and, like, try try doing that shit in the bank, you know? Yeah. Oh, you, <laughs> oh, but it's taking too long. Yeah, fucking maybe I'll throw something. Yeah, you'll get shot. You know what I mean? So what did you think, Paul? Let's go come back to you on that. Oh, man. Um, I think that, you know, the protest was apparently 10,000 strong. That's how big it was. And we saw a handful of overweight dudes with half empty Heineken's running around on a stadium stand, you know, like, I think we saw like what we saw wasn't, I think the bulk of the protest, fortunately, um, this is very much like UCL. I agree with the principle of the protest. I disagree with the general execution of it. Right. I mean, I, I, I understand their frustration and I'm with them in that, um, in, in wanting their club to be properly managed. Um, and this is probably going to be interesting to you. I actually am a firm believer in protest. I'm a firm believer even in violent protest. I think that if you look historically, change has been created. Immediate change at the social level is generally created through violence. I think passive and peaceful protest usually creates awareness. And violent protest usually creates change. And I think politics and football have been intertwined for so long um, that they're one and the same. And I can understand when things turn violent. Um, and I'm not justifying or saying that's right. I understand it. And I think at times there's nowhere else to go uh, with social change. Look at Black Lives Matters. I think sometimes there's nowhere left to go when you've done every avenue than a violent situation. This is not that. I, I don't think this is that. I, I agree with the frustration. I just think that this outcome was a little bit laughable in general. Just a, a couple of chubby, overweight, 40-year-old dudes with Heinekens running around. Um, I did um, – I thought that the drunk dads with kids was completely relatable, but that's just a personal note. Uh, <laughs> I didn't – hey, shit happens, man. You got the kids and, like, you know, you got, you got them out for the day. Like One, one guy I'm had his – one guy had his weekly shopping with him. <laughs> hey, man, they were at the store. Shit got off track. I mean – Hey, man, you got to run the errands. Don't the protest kids, or not. Hey, those are moments the kids are going to remember and talk about forever, okay? Um, <laughs> like, it's all about making memories. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, no, I just, I, you know, I disagreed with the execution of it. Um, I thought that was kind of a shame. Uh, and my thing is, like, you want to make a meaningful impact as a protest? Next year, when they're counting on opening day gate revenue, have an empty stadium. That's impactful. Not going when nobody fucking goes to the game anyway and trashing yeah. the stadium and throwing some like TV crew stuff around. Like, yeah. I don't know. Trashing the stadium parts was the part I didn't get. I mean, I think it, th those as, weren't people that wanted, they, they weren't, they, those, like, I don't, I mean, maybe they want change, right? To, but to me, what I saw was a group of guys who cared more about getting tasty footage on their cell phone. Yeah, mob mentality took over at that point and all, all reasoning went out the window. They were just there for a day out at that point. You can't care that much when you're down on the ground level getting selfies in the dugout, right? I mean, that's just the bottom line. Stealing, stealing a fucking corner flag. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you're there for mementos and stuff. It it, yeah. it reeked. It, it it definitely... There were a couple of guys doing some nice finishing work, like volleys. And oh, stuff. yeah, yeah. Well, I've I seen that, that too. Pretty, 
pretty darn yeah. good. My highlight was uh, the best moment was the students trying to throw the shoe back uh, <laughs> to the guy. That was just that guy was everywhere. You, can't, you yeah. can't just script that shit. I mean, it was just. <laughs> but, but you yeah. know, bringing it back to reality, where's the punishments? You know, I, I, like, you know, where what what happens because of this? You know, because realistically, like Paul was saying, if they're serious about this you would imagine the protests to continue and therefore to continue even further when, when fans are allowed back into the stadium. So, but, but the, the serious question of, of repercussions definitely has to be discussed. And I'm sure it is being discussed right now um, because y- you can't have that happening every week at every, every stadium. So it, it takes me back to, when you were talking about the spirit of Shankly, and one of the things that was talked about was, you know, there should be like fans on the board, which I understand what people kind of like want, like their voices to be heard, but you're not going to sit on the freaking board uh, where you have absolutely no freaking stake. A, and there's a ton of uh, like a high level top secret information being going around. I mean, are you going to come out and be like, yeah, man, they're talking to Nike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's not gonna happen so yeah there goes that deal yeah to even like think of that's possible and i don't know what i mean are you gonna sit in the corner with your i mean and that's why when you look at what happens this weekend i think it's a clear indication of why i don't necessarily want fans sitting on the board in the first place because as fans us included we're probably over emotional on things you know, you want somebody with a more level head making these decisions than shit people like us even uh, leave alone people who had beers in the system. So, I mean, I don't know if they think like they're going to sit in the corner of the board and they're going to be like, hey, you think we should sign so and so? Yep, done. Can you be me a bottle opener? You know, it doesn't <laughs> like that shit doesn't work like that. And that was my thing. I'm all for. I think going back to what you were talking about, Paul, I think I agree. Sometimes ownership can be a bit distant and they should not be. They should understand some of the moves they made. I feel like FSG always, and they will probably continue to do this, is test the boundaries, right? How much can you get away with? It's like having a kid, you know, they're like, no, I said, no, you know, like, you know, like you tell a kid, no, they're like, no, not that either. Like they kind of see, let me see what I can get away with, figure out the frame over here. And I know, you know, like raising the ticket prices and things like that, you know, like, and, you know, they made, it would have made a huge deal with the trademark thing. It was not about that. I thought, but you know, it was still not. And some of the moves they made, I don't think they've communicated well enough why they're making it. So I value like, you know, being with these groups, kind of like telling them, you know, like, Hey, you know, like, you know, sharing the vision and stuff, but expecting to sit on the board, is beyond obnoxious, right, Jamie? I'm sure you would love to sit on the board. First of all, I don't know if I would, because those boring camp, those meetings can't be a lot of fun. Uh, but um, I mean, where do you stand on that? Does that even sound realistic to you? Yeah, it, it's it's mad, isn't it? Like um, the whole idea of being a fan, a fanatic. You're fanatical about something. You know what I mean? So by by that rationale alone, you you're not seeing things with a, a clear vision. You know, you're, you're seeing things with rose tinted glasses, if you will. Um, so I, I, I do understand there, there's much more responsible people than myself out there in the world. God love you. Um, but yeah, it certainly wouldn't be a job for the faint of heart. Um, I, I possibly wouldn't, wouldn't be, <laughs> wouldn't be allowed in after day one. You would start singing in a little freaking meeting anyway. <laughs> yeah, here, slide that ashtray down there, fella. <laughs> uh, yeah, Paul would be constantly asking for Bamford to be signed. It would just be like a constant chaos if we attended these meetings. But so, like I say, I mean, I'm sure, like, especially as the season winds down, I think to me, the most depressing part is, you know, especially for the people who think this is not a business and, you know, like, oh, like going back to the good old days and stuff. I don't think you can have an owner that does not care about the bottom line unless you have somebody buying the club with infinite resources, uh, such as, 
Infinite Oil money or something like that, or that are who's just buying it for the ego. And I don't even know, even for the ego, apart from unless you have oil money or something like that, anybody can afford $4 billion. I think that's when you can maybe have somebody who cares only about what happens on the field. And the problem with people like that is they make, it's almost like having a fan run the club. So they can, those are the teams that change, you know, managers like underwear and, you know, cause three games, cause they can pay, cause like us, you know, like they're fans, they get impatient. They want results right away. You know, like seeing a long-term plan does not sound feasible, feasible. And I think the worst thing of this is, like I said, it's been a couple of weeks now. I mean, we record a podcast about an hour every week and the ratio of how much football versus business we talked alone should show <laughs> where how like dominant the whole business and the bottom line thing is on. This. So I'm sure, like I say, we'll talk about more of SG thing because I do, I do agree with Jamie. I want to see what's going to happen out of this in terms of punishments and stuff. And let's see what else happens because this is not over by any means. And I think, you know, the the Super League thing just puts, especially United fans, kind of like it was like a last drop and they're kind of like, you know, like going ape shit now and the Glazer thing was brewing all along anyway. It's not something new. And I think when you compare the FSG, it's a lot easier for us to say, A, from the recent history and B, we can see what's been done, you know, like new stand, new training ground and stuff, that money is being put in. Whereas, I mean, we always talk, you know, fans have short-term memory, right? So, I mean, what can United show as like, you know, winning recently and nothing else for like the stands and stuff like that to be able to physically show differences. But let's try our best to real quickly talk some football. Um, Yay! Yeah, right. Uh, so Wilson, Wilson, uh, <laughs> where I, so Paul, let's start with you. Wilson, keep him. Is he like, is he going to get another chance or uh, he's chances and he's not getting younger? Let's just get this over with. He's being sold. All he's doing right now is padding his valuation. Uh, we tried to sell him last window. We didn't get the money that we had thought we were going to get because of the pandemic market. Uh, otherwise, I firmly believe he would have been gone, as would have Phillips. Um, but um, don't at me, Jamie. I can see you glaring at me through the screen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not at all. He's like, that's my net. No, I, my question would be, how much do you think we could get from him? I'd be happy with for, 10 million pounds. For, are you talking about for Harry? For, yeah. uh, I think the club wants close. I, I think the club wants over 20 million pounds for him. I think they, they're, they're, they're looking in the neighborhood of 25 for him. That's what I think they want. I know that seems high, but I mean, if you look at what clubs paid for, uh, gosh, now I'm totally blanking on the name, of course. The so, left winger uh that we had before him jordan i'm like yeah. i mean he went for crazy money bournemouth has sunk a lot of money into players like like wilson i don't think they'll do it again but there'll be somebody out there that will and he he is entering his prime so i mean he he could very well be a premier league player he he's look he's got a wand of a left foot he's fantastic offensively from range um, I think the overall questions from our club standpoint are, uh, uh, evolving really his all around game. Like, can he do some of the things that we require from a physicality standpoint and from a defensive standpoint in terms of tracking back, pressing all that stuff. But, um, he's going to continue to fill out, um, that frame and he's got, he's, he's, he's a player, man. I mean, think about this. We sold Solanke for 11, right? two uh, like off seasons ago it would be then so i think you know if it was 10 he would have been gone and somebody would have snatched him up because you gotta figure wilson is a lot more experienced than Solanka did they wanted 25 last window for him so i mean but i i would take the hit personally i i'd be fine with 10 10 to 15 i'd be happy and, and, and yeah, let him that's go. why we don't want fans on the board jamie i yeah exactly <laughs> you know I'd be happy to take the hit and and let him go play his football elsewhere because, you know, he kind of said as much in his interview there midweek, didn't he? It's tough to see these kids loan after loan go out. I mean, that's that's got to be hard on them, and it's it's hard as a fan to watch that. I mean, I I care about these kids whether they they stay with us or not. I mean, I track our old players. Um, yeah. You know, I, like it's 
24 years old, you got your heart set up playing starting 11 football. You've been at Liverpool for a long time. I mean, you defy the odds and keep coming up. You know, only 2% of those kids come out of the academy. They yeah. say. So, I mean, I feel for him for sure. Because he's gotten his chances too. I think it's worse for these. I feel worse for players who keep getting loaned out yeah. and never really get, you know, be able to play on the team to show, to get their chance. I mean, because it's got to feel like you're that close, right? It's got to feel like you're that close. Or at least, you know, if you're a player, you can at least probably say, I really want to talk to like Rohini about this, you know, like he's going to be on one of our podcasts, but like somebody who has played on the team, I think you can at least say I gave it a shot or I had the opportunity as opposed to these guys who got like constantly loaned out, loaned back, loaned out again, but never got their chance saying, man, if I got one opportunity, I would have made like the most of it or something like that. I think it's almost like worse for those guys. So you're selling him for, Jamie's selling for that. Jamie's like the bargain guy over here. Uh, yep. He's selling for 10. I agree. I think he's probably worth at least 25, 30, just judging by what we've gotten in the past. But then again, I mean, obviously it worked out with Phillips, thank God, because we have a center back. But I don't know if part of the problem sometimes is we over evaluate some of these guys and kind of like get stuck with them. I think that is a, I think that's probably a reality for sure. I mean, obviously, the COVID market doesn't help a lot. There's not as much money floating around and stuff like that. But uh, sometimes that ends up being an own goal, if you will. See how I did that? Because now we're going to come back to the trivia. What a transition. Broadcasting at its best. Uh, So, okay, let's take a look. You guys had 250, right, was one guess? And then you were kind of like out there, Paul. What did you go with? 375 or something? I had like 175, something like that. Two- <laughs> uh, 203 of those 10,059 goals were own goals. So let's wow. ask this. How many of them do you guys think came from the penalty spot? Uh, redeem yourselves. Oof. That's a difficult one. Uh, let's go a tenth. Let's go a thousand. What you got there, Paul? This is like prices, right? Uh, I will go. I'll go higher than that. I'll go two thousand. Ooh, five hundred and twenty-eight. Ah. Oh Ooh. man. Well, you can tell that this past couple of years in Premier League, the penalties per game ratio have been just going up. So. I've only been watching football since VAR, so that's why my, my <laughs> thing was so high. I'm going to have to like pull up United's numbers next week. I'm sure the ratio is much higher just based on these freaking last two years alone. So <laughs> it has to be a lot higher. But uh, So let's continue with hoping that we're going to have a game. Uh, our next game will be against Southampton. Uh, with Fulham folding against Chelsea this weekend, that relegation battle deal is pretty much done. So, Jamie, what do you expect out of the Southampton game? We will have basically not played for two weeks. So, hopefully no freaking knocks. Uh, no one can be tired or all kinds of any excuses that we can come up with. We really have nothing this week. We're going to have a team that's been rested for two weeks. Sadly, this team sometimes does not do as well when they come from like some of these breaks, um, when they go on mini vacations and stuff like that. But how do you see this game coming out this weekend? It's just going to be good to be able to watch Liverpool play for 90 minutes, isn't it? I mean, Jesus Christ. That um, definitely missed it this weekend. So, I mean, Southampton, we all know they're a good team. Um and like you said, we historically this season, we when we've needed time off and we've had it, we haven't really used it to our advantage or, or, or performed as well as we should have. Um, yeah, it's uh, is it even a must win anymore? It, it, it is a must win, but like we were kind of talking about in our discord channel it's almost better at this stage to just not think about champions league football because with west ham winning today after chelsea winning the weekend it does look kind of slim but um i mean the 
you know, for mathematically, it's still there. I just don't know if it's realistic. Where do you stand on that? God forbid I'm optimistic. I'll just get shit on by Paul over here. So, Paul, uh, where are you at with that now so I can determine my approach accordingly? Um, I'm just getting ready to shit on you again. I, no, I just not. <laughs> No, I'm not going to be as optimistic as I was uh, two weeks ago. Not only because of our form, more than that, honestly. Uh, you know what's funny is like two weeks ago, I said like the reason that we weren't going to make it isn't because the other teams were blowing it out of the water. It was because we just were consistently not good enough. Like, and I think now, like I view it as we're not going to make it because like those teams that we needed to not do well, Leicester, Chelsea, West Ham, they're all consistently good right now. Like they found form at the wrong time. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I my stance is the, the same. I, I think it's a long shot. I don't think it's over, but I think it's a long shot. Um, can I talk Southampton? I personally think we're going to win versus Southampton because Southampton's got like one point in their last five matches, last four matches, something like that. So they're in bad form right now. I think we're catching them at the right time. I think even at 50%, we should – pick up points off them, three points off them. I believe so too. I just hope we don't get stuck with the Europa spot at the end. I guess that's probably like my biggest fear those Thursdays. Yes, I don't. Yeah, Europa would be – would Especially with Klopp. I mean, I'm kind of like worried. That's probably my biggest worry uh, going into next season. So last question for you guys. Uh, Klopp was saying that, you know, the summer transfer plans – would not be affected by, you know, whether we make Champions League or not. You can kind of take that in two ways. Like, you can take it as we weren't going to spend shit anyway, so it's not going to matter. Or, I mean, do you guys buy that or not? Jamie? That's a, that's a good question. Um, I think we have, we've needed to spend. Like we, we discussed last week, our squad has been thin. Um, and, and like Paul also said last week, there's, there's still some dead weight hanging around that we could offload and, and maybe utilize that that 10 or 20 million depending who's in charge of selling uh, <laughs> and we all know that edwards is, is good to get a, a a deal um so i think we we have to be uh, as busy as we can be um and and of course it's not going to be the marquee signings that we want but we have full faith in these guys to go out and get us a deal um and, and, you know, we have um, youth in the ranks that are coming up and, and coming back in. Like, I, Harvey Elliott may be a bit too young to, to get a, a start or two, but um, the, the youth coming through, it's looking good for the next couple of years. So if we get, you know, a few 21, 22-year-olds in, I think we'll be doing well. Do you buy that, Paul? We spend the same regardless of where we end up? At the yeah, end? I think I, I have always thought it was going to be a buying window regardless. The only thing that I thought would put a crimp in that is if this pandemic thing managed to stretch itself into two seasons, which I don't, I don't see that being an issue. I think it's always going to be a buying window because of the amount of dead weight that we have in general. I think, I think if you miss Champions League and you're at the caliber Liverpool is, you almost have to buy anyway. Like you have to reinvest – to get back there. Um, so like if we or, don't, or risk getting left behind, you know, absolutely. Right. Like, I don't necessarily see like us going out and getting some huge play. Like I don't Mbappé, Holland, all that stuff like that. The pipe dream players. I don't see something like that, but I see us getting like solid depth, you know, like a, a backup right back. I see us going up and reinvesting in the front line. I think we're going to get more depth and attacking. I think there's going to be a serious retool in midfield. Like I, I see, I could easily see us signing four to five to even six players that can compete for starting 11 positions in the squad, given the needs of the team and how much people, how many players I think have the capability of getting shipped out. Um, if we don't have an active window, man, I'll be down in the FSG troll hole. I'll get a shirt, man. I'll, I'll be on board with it because it would shock <laughs> me that much. Yeah. We'll have to re-record this podcast and take, <laughs> take Paul's like new angle in on that one. But <laughs> well, for starters, you can get rid of that Bishop Dash jersey and do us all a favor here. Uh, well, <laughs> gentlemen, that'll be it for this week. Let's hope next week we get to kind of like talk more about football and 
none of the off the field stuff. Things kind of like settle down a bit more. Uh, check out the website, by the way, if you want to keep up on these guys. Uh, Bickler's Lone Lads is up there in terms of their stats and everything like that. And one thing I wanted to kind of like make a plea on to listeners is if you guys are following the side, you guys have seen uh, the latest one we had was Daniel Keenan. And then we have a one coming up with Scott Michael this week, uh, the My Liverpool Story. Because I it's one of the my favorite things on our website is kind of like hearing about how everybody became a Liverpool fan because everybody obviously starts somewhere and everybody's story is different. Uh, so if you're a listener, please do share those with us. Uh, you can either like write it yourself or we can send you like some like question answer format too. Uh, we get a bunch of them coming, but the more the matter. I really enjoy reading those because I really think it's interesting to see how everybody is coming from like different angles. So gentlemen, having said that, thanks for joining me and thanks to all those for listening. Hopefully we'll see you guys next week after three points against Southampton.